Listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and this is our final episode of the year, folks. 2017, the year which brought us our first formal official sponsor. And that sponsor wants you to know: don't get fucked in April, folks. Get polade. Get polade. Don't delay. Call polade. Financial oh. services, insight, and uh, you know. A great guy to go see shows with, too. Hey, that too. But uh, listen, it comes down to brass tacks here. And folks, if you have a business, get yourself set up financially. Get your taxes done right. Get your books all done properly. Work with Polay. Give them a call. Give them a call. If it's good enough for Isaiah Thomas, it's good enough for you. That's right. That's right. So we got a big episode. We've got Jeff Franca. Hold on a second. It's actually Robert Polay. Hold Let's on a second. On. Let's see. Put him on? Can we put him on? Hold on a second. Hey, Mr. Polay, we're literally doing our intro right now. We're we talking j- about you. We just gave the just gave our plug for you, and here you are calling us right now. How are you, sir? Outstanding. <laughs> Let's get approval for our new catchphrase. All right, so our new catch catchphrase is don't get fucked in April. Get polayed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, I think he likes it. Polay likes like it. I like by not fucking people. Yeah. So listen, we're serious. I'm we're we're. And I don't want to suggest that the IRS fucks people uh. by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> All right, listen, Robert. It's a very good organization. Robert, you called it. The, I mean, literally, I'm not shitting you. We're recording our intro for our episode, and you're calling right now. So we're gonna jump. We got two minutes for you. I want you to. I want you to quickly here to just. Tell us what makes your company unique. We give a chat. I like it. Tell us some of the yeah. some of the folks you've worked with over the last several years. <laughs> um, Death Row Records. Um, Bob Marley Estate. Wow. Um, um, Mastodon. Mastodon. Um, um, 
Who else? Uh, Are you playing a video game? He's in his car. Sounds like he just got a free game. <laughs> uh, my passenger refuses to wear a car seat. No, we uh, we give attention no matter how much uh, you make or don't make, and uh, and we actually give a shit. You actually do give a shit. There's no question about that. Yeah, and are you going to get Kyrie? Uh, Indyre? No, Kyrie Irving. No, I don't know about Kyrie Irving. Let's work on that. How about Magic Johnson? No, no we've got Blake Griffin, Kemba Walker, Hussein Whiteside, Hassan Whiteside, um, CJ McCollum. Those are all names you can drop. And let me ask you. Let me ask you this much: with with you know a lot of our listeners uh, pay attention to the news, Robert, and this tax bill that's going through. Without getting too into detail, on the surface level here, your your firm's going to be all over this to be able to deal and help your clients navigate through this new new. Uh, Absolutely, you know that we're on it. We've on it. I've already consulted with all the politicians on it. You can go to my Facebook page. You can see me at Joe Biden. We've been talking about it. Robert Pole on Facebook. P-O-L-A-Y. <laughs> the Pole Clark Facebook page. On Pole Clark Facebook page. P-O-A-L-Y. Clark. Yeah. Clark. <laughs> hey, Robert, thanks for calling. Uh, we're going to cut <laughs> you short. But... I'm trying. I'm moving for the uh, Biden-Bernie Sanders ticket, of which you'll see me talking to all of them on PoleClark.com. PoleClark.com. And Robert, happy Hanukkah. And I'd say Merry Christmas, but you know, I'm a whiner. You're a Pole. Oh, Biden. I'm with you on Biden. So, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, we're in La La Land right now. So is Bernie Sanders. <laughs> oh, Rob. Hey, uh, we love you, Pole. Thank, thanks for your support. We're gonna, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Yes, I need to get your money. Yes, you do. Oh, but, that's great. But we're on the air. You great heard thing it here. You're on the air. We're actually getting paid for this. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll call you soon. Happy New Year. Happy Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Don't get fucked All in right, April, folks. Call. Get. And get. <laughs> you won't get screwed. <laughs> you won't get screwed. You'll get. Polade. Yes, Polade. Love you. Bye. You'll get so late. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, <laughs> literally, that just happened. Sorry about this goofy end of year episode. Um, oh, man. So we're going to talk about- well, When has it ever happened where you're talking about your sponsor, giving them a plug, and they was, call you right then and there? That was certain, well, your mother called a couple episodes ago while we were talking about her, too. Yeah, well, that's weird. I mean, that's just she's always on my And back. then we ended up doing, uh, to make it clear, you ended up doing the, your mother's voice later, but she actually herself did call- She did. While we were doing the intro yeah. that that uh, week. All right. Well, we gotta we're gonna send we're gonna drop it over to Mark Brownstein. We're gonna talk about strings and soul in the outro, and we'll also talk about uh, the David Bromberg show I saw and some other things that we've been doing. You know what we're gonna talk about? Your cholesterol. Is I'm concerned.
This is Mark Brownstein from the Disco Biscuits, and you're about to hear an interview with Jeff Franca on Inside Out WTNN. re-released the instrumental EP that I did on Beavery's label uh, and then added a track um, to that, a bonus track, and then put out a single, I believe a year ago, a year or two ago. Right now we're in a, Congo Sanchez is in a rebuilding stage. Since I moved to Denver, we're um, adding some elements, expanding the sound. Um, Right now, uh, the live performance consists of me on drums with my electronic beats, my sampler, and then two MCs. And it's been really great. We've toured like really hard for for the last album cycle. Did a lot of shows and uh, opened a lot of markets. But now we can take a little time, craft the sound a little more, add some my Colorado homies to the stage, and see where it goes. There's only know? a few musicians that live in Colorado, Rob. Are we rolling? Yeah, go ahead, start. Well, this is Jeff Franca speaking about his band Congo Sanchez. Jeff, uh, Jeff probably most well known for his work with Thievery Corporation, also works with CI. And um, Flex Matthews, and is it Haley Supreme? Haley, yeah. Haley yeah. Supreme. One of the things that surprised me in the hip hop element of it, um, when listening to Flex talk about creating the lyrics, that once you're in the studio, uh, most of it is pre written, but some of it is freestyle, right? Um. Yeah, Flex and Hailey have a very spontaneous approach to um, performing. And in the studio, I try to somehow capture that phenomenon in a take. You know what I mean? And Because and, sometimes, for example, um, a song off the first record, um, Stand Beside Yourself... The hook on that song was a freestyle. And I was like, immediately as I heard it, I stopped him. I was like, that was it. That was good. You know, and, and he just spoke the words and the melody all at once. And so I was like, all right, now we go from here. So in the producing process, I try to keep it as organic as possible, knowing that those dudes, their spontaneity is part of their art, you know? So try to nurture that as a producer. I do notice also, as, a, as someone who's been a drummer for so long, the last track on the album is called... Oh, I thought you were saying that you're, you oh, noticed no. as a drummer. I was like, when the fuck are you start playing drums? Very casual drummer. I'm not a <laughs> professional drummer. No, but the last song is called Release, and there's some really, really nice drum work on it. Was that a bit of a cathartic release for you to actually really let go on drums on a studio track for the first time, or had you done that before? Um, that song... That album is, is thematic. So the song before release is Lament. It's a quiet, like, with a beautiful guitar. Yeah, a little guitar part. And I sang on that song and wrote that song. And it actually was a response to the conflict between Israel and Palestine. And, and the, the, the fact that, you know, it's not really getting any better. The history's bad. The future looks bad. Like, it's just a grim situation for both sides. So, um, I wrote that as a dedication to, the, to that that situation and simultaneously I had been going through um, losing a little brother from cancer Ooh. and so 
just the, the album was really kind of reveled in just kind of dark pain, I guess you could say. Um, you know, there's like breakup songs, there's death songs, there's tributes to war songs. And I guess what you can see in the quote that you were just reading is that, you know, that's kind of what we were going for, what we were feeling. Like we wanted our first album to be a statement, you know, about... Can I read it? Yeah, go ahead. With all of the injustices that are going on with the world, we feel it is important to make music that documents our feelings and perspectives during these times. Our music is a reaction to police brutality, unjust war for profit, pharmaceutical poisoning of the youth, the caste system, media exploitation, gentrification, so, excuse me, societal ignorance, religion, sexism, racism, and love. So there you go. And there's That's only the 10 songs on the album. Behind, um, behind just that album or behind the band in general? Well, definitely in general, uh, we're, a conscious, we're a conscious kind of, you know, we've taken our reggae influence, our hip-hop influence, our, you know, kind of all this music that has been socially conscious, rebellious music, and trying to move it into our own sound, but yet keeping the integrity of, you know, the uh, rhetoric behind, behind the message. But um, going back to what you said about release, release is the end of the album, so it's kind of like, all right, we went through all those songs, we heard the love song, we heard this, we heard that, we heard this, and then, all right, we just rocked out for 15 minutes, and now, phew, all, right, all right, we're good now, we can move forward. So metaphorically, in my life, that was kind of like, you know, a thing where it was like, all right, after this album and the tour and all this stuff for the next few years, we're moving forward. We're cleaning the slate. Closure. Closure, yeah. And, and the release was part of that, part of that closure. And uh, I actually recorded it at my house and ended up going to Atlanta, right here where we are right now, to mix the record. And they had a great drum room, and I was like, uh, I think I'll just re-record it. <laughs> so it's a complete improv. It's a complete improv. And, and the, um, the synthesizers that you hear on the song were from the original take. And I improvised with the synthesizers on the new drum take. And actually, the first one I did, I got the old... Uh, we're gonna have to do that again. <laughs> something peaked or something like wasn't quite set up in the right. studio. But well, you know, studio. it's fine. I got to release three times. Um, <laughs> it, um, uh, I don't think it really has a name. Uh, my my boy TJ um, Elias um, mixed the record, and he works down here with um, <clears throat> artists like uh, Blackberry Smoke, and um, he's front of house for Jamestown Revival. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know those cats. Well, Blackberry for certain. Yeah, and I might, I might be missing. Blackberry just recorded an album too, or at least they're recording. Yeah, so mm-hmm. TJ, he, he was working at a studio out in the Burbs, and uh, he was working huh. for Thievery at the time, and I just was like done with the album, and I'm like, uh, he did it for free. Did you write Save Me for myself? No, I did not write Save Me for myself. Highly wrote Save Me for myself. Well, because it's interesting because the, the album talks about external influences, yet there's just one song that's like, and I'm part of the problem too, almost. Or of my own problem. Totally, totally. And, and that song could also be titled Sasha Thumper, which was a character in an outcast song who's a girl who got lost in the sauce. So... Um, outcast has been influenced on you from the get-go, right? From me, yes, as a... Um, as a band who took hip hop 
and recorded all live instruments in their studio, toured with a full band and a drummer and everything back when I was a kid, you know, in high school, seeing them play with yes. bands like The Roots and, you know, Incubus and Two Skinny Jays and, you know, all the kind of like Rage Against the Machine, all that kind of, you know, smoke and grooves tours from back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. But, um, so yes, Outkast, but I wouldn't, I would say Outkast is a bigger influence for Highly and Flex uh, vocally. Um, and so Hailey wrote that song about Sasha Thumper, who was a character in Outcast song. And one night we were in my studio or my whatever, same thing, basement in DC. And I was, he was just playing me sketches that he had. And immediately I was like, I like, let's, let's make this one into a song. And I produced it in kind of like an EDM kind of trappy bossa nova weird way. I don't know. It's a pretty experimental album. <laughs> We're, we're going to get into that. We want to talk a little bit more about the EDM meets Bossa Nova, but, um, but yeah, let's just... Uh, let's. Well, sometimes there's beauty and simple elegance of lyrics, and then also with the way you dress them and produce them. So when you sing Keep Moving, Keep Rocking, Keep Dreaming on the record, I mean, that there is the undercurrent of hope going on, even with all this. Yeah, and that, um, that is on out, um, out on the Road, that, that, those lyrics, and... Um, our friend Brian Capobianchi, B-Cap, or Dataset, was in, involved in the first writing sessions for the band. So there's six songs that he has influence on as well. Uh, maybe not six, maybe like three. But um, so you kind of notice that chant style behind the vocal. That's, that's B-Cap's influence. B-Cap, because Flex and Hiley write kind of like, not that B-Cap doesn't, but they kind of write longer ideas and more compositional ideas, and B-Cap brought this kind of like more rhythmic kind of looped idea with like a chant you know and kind of progresses the song into the and when we perform that live people go crazy but we had to stop because we got kind of sick of it so we we gave it gave it a rest for a while yeah you don't want to keep playing stuff you don't really want to play it's not good for the soul right yeah i mean and then you know we're all we're, we're always working you know i mean the thing about we have a level of improvisation in that band that that is present, you know, so it doesn't get ever too stale, but, um, they want to keep it fresh. So fresh and so clean, Rob. So fresh and so clean, clean. A lot of it's lyrical improv though. Um, uh, there's uh, in the, in the show, the songs that are written stay the way they are for the most part. Um, the songs that have been released for people to, you know, cause I mean, with the little work we've done, there's certain places we go into England where we've sold CDs and people come back and sing the songs and we're like, Oh my God. But like, can freestyle happen at any time, or do you generally know this I, is the part of the show where? We as might... as the bands evolved, we've expressed that there's definitely times for it, and there's songs that are like 15 minute jams that is like, all right, now we know <laughs> when you're gonna freestyle, but what you're gonna say right. is completely in the moment and completely, you know, as relevant as whatever we just heard on the talk radio show, you know. So try to keep it current. Okay, which is easy these days. I guess it's easy and not easy because there's just so much. It's just too much. Information over too much information. Ah, please. Ghost and Machine record. Yeah, there you go. That's one of Flex's favorite albums. That's a great, great, great record. Um, well, let's let's get some foundation here. Well, yeah. Well, before we go back though, there's something that Seth just alluded to because in going through Thievery's catalog, which I'm of course familiar with you guys, but I've never really dug into the catalog mm-hmm. like I did. It's so interesting to hear the hints of Bossa Nova and to hear the hints of dub and, and even dancehall reggae and then listen to the last two albums where you really, really 
go into those two styles. Um, I, I know the the uh, Reagan one's more recent, uh, I and I. But uh, can you talk about the one before that with all the female vocalists? Yeah. That? How do you pronounce um, the name of that? Uh, it would be Saudade. Yeah. Okay. Which is like a it's a it's a word in Portuguese that means like the most. It's like it's a word that basically says this feeling can't even be expressed into words. Like I miss you that much. It's like a it's like a longing that's like indescribable. But there's a genre that a lot of people don't know about. You're obviously going to be exposing your fan base to it. How do you go? Is it um, is it tough to choose who who to work with to to represent this you know iconic and underappreciated genre? I can't really speak on that because I'm um, a hired gun on the, that record. I'm not a producer, so I didn't. I wasn't conceptually involved. Um, I do know that the idea from the beginning was to do a bossa nova record, and that both Rob and Eric um, are heavily influenced by Milton Banana, Carlos Jobim. You know that. The, some, yeah, and it, even if you think of like the Verve remix records from the '90s, you know when the thievery started, they weren't necessarily they were more on like the kind of K and D DJ kicks scene. But that whole thing was happening at once, where jazz was hitting, you know, Guru was doing the Blue Note Jazzmatazz stuff and all this stuff. So producers were, you know, finding this voice and us three, yeah, and 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 Rob and Eric have always had a love for that blend of you know the bossa nova with the, with the slight electric and then I guess the one sleeper song on that album is is Depth of My Soul on that record I'm not sure I think Depth of My Soul is on that record and that's like a it's like a 3-4 waltz like it feels like you're at a pageant in um, Eyes Wide Shut or something it's kind of what it maybe I'm saying that because there's like a little mask in the video and a having a synesthetic experience but was that the first time you met the Shauna Halligan Halligan is that what that Shauna was, was on um, a track on Culture of Fear uh, what was that called I don't know it was one, one of my favorite one of my favorite songs actually but um, but yeah so that, that's all curated by Rob and Eric it's all you know it's all whoever they're using and I think they used um Lulu, Natalia, Eileen, um, Shauna. Lulu, Lulu's been on a lot of your stuff, right? Yeah, Lulu and Natalia are the, the ones that are here um, on tour as well. And Mr. Liff is here, right? Mr. Liff. Um, but Eileen was, is just a DC, she's a DC girl that she sings in, um, in Portuguese. And she's like in a Tropicalia band, like a psychedelic Brazilian style band. Um, so uh, she'll perform some of those songs with us if we're at home. At NDC at the 9:30 Club, or I guess our next gig is at Anthem, the new venue. Did you guys see that Foo Fighters christened no. it with a it's like a six thousand person indoor venue? Small chance huh. I'll get to see Dylan there in next month at Small Anthem. Chance. I work for Live Nation, and it is a Live Nation venue, and I'm looking working on tickets. Working on tickets. Is it a Live Nation? Well, venue? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I looked it up. You can work the gig. I mean, you can just bring oh. your janitor outfit, and you'll be, IMP you'll be good. Built it. Seth. People, people always wonder what Rob does, and he's a janitor. I'm a janitor. A good for you. Man. And I have a VIP host, one and the same. <laughs> what about this Raquel Jones? Had you heard of her before you did the last record? Uh, she came She's along um, because we were in Jamaica. Recording the, we went there for ten days to record the tracks, the initial tracks for mm-hmm. Temple of I and I, uh, and <clears throat> we were at this place called G Jam, and um, there was a guy there that was kind of facilitating a couple things, you know, 
Jamaican, that's what, that's Jamaican what they style. do. Yeah. Making, no matter where you go, you got get... someone's going to take care of you in some way or another. <laughs> They're going to take care of things you didn't even know you needed taken care of. Yeah. So, so he brought us Raquel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's featured on a couple of tracks. And That's yeah, awesome. Just, yeah. I'd love to have heard more from her. Now, are you playing live drum and mixing it with... Uh, with drum is there program program drums mixed with live drums on that record uh, most of the songs that you hear a live drum on it's there's Eric really likes to layer stuff but this was because of the natural reggae feeling because how we actually recorded with instruments first um, a lot of it was preserved so most of the time you're hearing pretty much the take that I did and we re-recorded some stuff in D.C. with a different drum sound, but a lot of that's the original drums from down in Jamaica. And it's quite an elusive thing. It seems like they're using modern technology to deepen the organic and authentic feel of the music. I mean, how do you do that? Well, I mean, some of my favorite producers, including Rob and Eric, are masters at blending the electronic with the live. And you know, one that comes to mind I always talk about is this guy Dave Friedman, who produced um, that really great MGMT record that everybody loved. And he did um, Soft Bulletin and I think Cloud States Metallic and Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots at the Flaming Lips. Uh-huh. If you guys are familiar with those records, they're like, you hear the band, but then you have all this other yeah. electronic vibe including like interludes with no live drums and then the drums come in and so you hear a little of him in all these different releases kind of like a Daniel Lanois of EDM <laughs> is that appropriate or no uh no I wouldn't put I wouldn't put Dave Friedman close to anything that says EDM dub trip hop pop straight up pop He's, but he's pulling elements of electronica into it, though. Yeah, well, I mean, his his sound is just, it's so beautiful, like his orchestration with synthesizers, and then he actually gets live orchestras. You know, just thinking on that level of, of the fact that, regardless of what genre this instrument became popular with, I like it for this, so I'll blend it with this and create something genre-bending. I crank up a Wayback Machine. Black. Uh, did you have the key for it? What is that? <laughs> We're going back in time. Oh, is this It didn't go as well this time. But talk about growing up in Clifton, Virginia. How do you find out about this whole world, and how do you aspire to go to the 18th Street Lounge in D.C.? All right, so here's where, when you talked about CI earlier, I'm, I'm no longer a member of that band, but um, that is the house band at the 18th Street Lounge on Wednesdays. Okay. And it's... And this 18th Street Lounge, though, for our listeners, is uh, it's 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 been around for a while. Is it owned by Garza? <coughs> it's an iconic club in D.C. that uh, is owned by a handful of people, okay. partners, uh, Rob and Eric, some of the original founders, and um, and it's where they had their first studio it's where their music fit the vibe like where they curated the whole experience not just like all right come into this cool club playing um kesha pandora it's like well you just killed everything because your music sucks you know it's like part of what an idea i have that maybe we can talk off the record um, for in Denver is like Denver's popping with all these new spots and you walk in and they're playing shitty music in a town that is like one of the greatest music towns in the country you know if not the world with artists everywhere that have their own music that's great you know and so like I, I want to somehow get my hand in that but um, regardless growing up in Clifton I was unaware 
of the 18th Street Lounge. I was unaware of um, a lot of things because I, I wasn't necessarily in bands. I was an orchestra dork when I was a kid. So I was performing at the Kennedy Center and doing the timpani and all that wow. stuff. And um, and then, you know, I, I did a lot through through the public musical education system, you know, just band in school, marching band, this, that, kept myself busy. And wasn't, you know, if I was going downtown, I was going to Buzz or Nation or 930 Club or, um, you know, Blues Alley or... Um, shit, where else did I go? But regardless, you know, and then and and basically, you know, you're aware of the of the Discord scene as a kid, you know, the Fugazi, and you know, how uh, how did you find that? I mean, everybody in DC just knows about Fugazi, you know. Maybe and Cliff, no. Well, that, I mean, it's a it's a suburb. It is that close. It's twenty miles. Okay. You know, so it's in Fairfax. If you guys are familiar with that, I but mean, it's, it's, but it is a, yeah, down sixty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it is it is like a it is a sheltered little town. It's like a historic town. And when I was growing up, it was still like you know I had a junkyard in my backyard. It was like gritty. It was fun. You could like it's been cleaned up a lot. As it you, wasn't Kitch though. That's a little further down in Baltimore. Oh, and it wasn't. It's not not quite like that. <laughs> um, but but the music presence in town was actually cool because there was a lot of. It's a little farther out, so there was you know some kind of hippie-ish type of people and a lot of the kids. That I grew up around had hippie parents, so we had you know cool cool vibes, and and good record collections to sort through and stuff. And um, it wasn't until I went to college is when I started finding out about thievery. Sorry, I just hit the mic. I'll say How it dare again. You? It's when I went to college that I started finding out about thievery and Indiana University. Uh, Indiana University again. I love it. Yeah. Is that where you went? No, no, no. no. We were just uh, releasing an episode of Main Squeeze. They all met uh, in part at uh, IU and my my, uh, parents met at IU. Yeah. And some of those guys, Corey was in school while I was in school. Oh, really? Yeah. So we've known each other since college. Awesome. Well, you probably um, were... Did uh, you guys were in the same band lounge and whatnot, right? You know, the- he was in. I never did the Soul Review. He okay. was he was in Soul Review, which was like a, a campus band that focused on um, gospel music and and the history of black music. Um, then, then he moved over to what's the, he was uh, in the acapella band? Yeah, the acapella thing. Uh, yeah. Straight No Chaser. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Who, who's awesome? Like they're great. Um, Corey's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I love that dude. And and Ruben, the drummer, started. In the same school that I went to, right the year that I left, and he's great. He's great as well. And, but we have the same teachers. We all that's have the that's, same that's interesting. It's amazing how many pockets of like. Oh, I could I could go around. on. I, I could give you an IU alumni list that would kind of blow your mind. Probably, um, the the drummer that I lived with, um, my buddy, he drums for L King, who's like the you know one two three kind of like to me. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Huge, so he's right? like he's like doing the New York pop thing, and then our other roommate Morgan, who was the three of us living together, he's playing horns with Andy Bylas and his tour with Charles Bradley. He's in that whole mm-hmm. other scene. So God rest his soul. We had a yeah yeah we had a a good little inspirational crew in college, but it wasn't those people that taught me about thievery. It was this dude Jeff Miller who. My name's Jeff, and my mother's maiden name is Miller, so I was naturally attracted to this guy. And uh-huh. he was a local and. Um, not in school, but friends of a friend 
of mine, a band leader, Eggy, Eggy and the Timers, and Eggy and Jeff were friends from growing up. So Jeff ended up getting divorced and leaving his wife and his daughter in Brazil until figuring out what the next move was, but like was like a local Bloomington kind of like, you know, parents had homes in Brown County, like, you know, kind of like could do whatever he want type of guy, you know, and what he ended up wanting to do was like wait for us to get home from class and smoke weed on our front porch and you know, take us into the woods and show us like his little spots and like kind of an eclectic, eccentric guy. I'm still friends with him today, but um, we would go, he had this art studio and, you know, we'd just be wasting time getting stoned and um, and one day I was going through his stuff and he just had pages and pages of this band Thievery Corporation and I listened to it and I, I loved it and I, I was like, uh, I thought it sounded like flaming lips in the club. That's That's what I thought. And and you know with all the drum breaks and all the stuff that and I wasn't really producing at the time so I was just hearing it for what it was I wasn't dissecting it and like how do they do this or anything I was just and the down tempo thing was huge then too right yeah and I mean you know I think at this point I wasn't like one to get once again I wasn't necessarily aware of what was huge I was just kind of checking out a it lot was of just stuff you positively yeah you know and 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 just real quick at this point did you already have a taste for the afro-cuban thing that's a, yes okay yeah so through my studies in percussion at a young age i had i was exposed to a lot of world music hence the name congo sanchez which is like a, a beautiful you know blend of african diasporatic rhythms and meeting the, my love for latin music which is a diasporatic music of africa west africa and 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 just you know, really knowing that in the long run, if I'm gonna stay inspired and get goosebumps and be happy doing this for the rest of my life, like that's really important to me. Is those rhythms are what make people dance, and they're what's formed all our R and B and rock and roll rhythms and jazz rhythms and hip hop rhythms. So, and it might be the driving force to getting uh, emotional feeling out of unemotional uh, tools. Totally. Totally. And the one thing, like, I, I, I always tell people, and this is, I don't know, whatever, it's the truth. I'm, like, in love with 50% of what my band, what, with what Congo Sanchez does. Like, I feel like we have 50% more to figure out about what we are, like, great. finding ourselves. That's, so, yeah, so it's yeah, great, yeah. you that's, know? Uh, that's, that's motivation right there. But part of that is... Do you, find, do you find yourself finding your, do you find it more in the live setting or in the studio setting with these guys? Um, I think in the studio setting we're, we're closer, but I'm going to stick with 50 because mm -hmm. I, I'm still, the first album was such a, a, a compilation of years of work that I was like, all right, I think I have an album now, you know, and it's great, great. And record. now I have, thank you. And now I have an idea of a sound I really want to focus on and craft and, and so we're actually yeah we're 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 probably gonna actually take a lot of our stuff down, and go slightly dark and mysterious for a little bit, and drop a couple little videos here and some teasers, and then relaunch again next year. Um, because I mean I'm on tour with this band until November, and then you know that's it that the year's pretty much over after that we're not taking any gigs we're, I'm gonna fly the guys out to Denver we're gonna write basically the idea is to, to do one song at a time and feature wh whoever I need to uh, finish that song is that an August of time? nope we're good um, 
State, let's go back to Indiana University. So you're finding out. You're, you're, <laughs> you're discovering thievery. Take us from there, and then does that? Okay, so yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. Like, so Jeff Miller, this like spiritual guy that like falls down from wherever and is, has the best weed and best coffee. Yeah, and, a Catfish John type character. Yeah, he's a he's a um, muse, a mentor, a mentor, a, a, a mentor, a guru, a muse, mentor. Tie those three together. A goose tour. That sounds like it could be a main squeeze and. Uh, who else? What band starts with a G? Uh, Godfrey Wine. Almond <laughs> <laughs> Dweezil's old a band Z. I don't think we'll Gomez. ever hear anything from them again. Gorillas? Yeah. Gorillas. The Gorillas and the Squeeze. We call it the Goose. The Goose, all right. Um, so, so, didn't really think about it after that again. Ended up back in D.C. after college because, like I said, I had a brother that was battling cancer. And the obvious direction was to go support him, support the family, help out whatever way I can. So I ended up back home and um, was living in Falls Church, which is like right in between D.C. and and working at George Mason uh, University, accompanying for their Afro-Cuban, African and modern dance classes. And then also teaching a class called Rhythmic Analysis to the sophomore level dance majors. Which was interesting because I was a 23-year-old kid teaching 19-year-old girls that are running around in their spandex and their sports bras all day and trying to manipulate me into giving them good grades when they didn't deserve it. So I had to put up a pretty strong wall. But regardless, uh, maintain professionalism. Good man. (laughs) Good man. So I learned by playing with this guy that the 18th Street Lounge is in D.C. and Thievery Corporation owns it and all their musicians are around here. And I was like, oh, cool, you know. And then I was like, well, shit, we'll get a gig there. And I, at this point, my band was Mojai, which was a, a spilled over from college and we were trying to get it happening, but everybody needed to go do their own thing. So Mojai broke up, but then I was still in D.C. and started playing around town. And then um, two bands. You ever, you ever heard of the Funk Arc? Mm-hmm. So the funk arc was like a f- following very much the Daptone influence of like the retro funk Afro beat type stuff, and um, I ended up drumming in that band. And then CI, um, which played every Wednesday at this, played every Wednesday. CI something happened. Dude couldn't go on tour, and I went on tour with them. And then after that, they were like, "All right, we." don't want that other guy anymore so I started playing at the 18th Street Lounge every Wednesday with basically Thievery Corporation it was Hash it was Robbie Myers it was two horn players or one horn player from Thievery and Roots and Z would it be different collectors people coming and going over the course of a night or was it one band that would play one band well yeah we'd have like Candace would do the intro and then Flex from my band would do like a song and then Roots and Z would do the rest of the set Um, but um it's a two set night, you know, it was a good gig and, and I was I was being exposed to one of the only rare opportunities to be in a band like this from DC. And I, you know, stars aligned, you know, I was following something that, you know, I really believed in and my family and my brother and, you know, it just felt like it was kind of like a reward for being, you know, being there. Your brother, a reward for doing the right thing, you know. And your brother's and, being supportive of you even while he himself is dying of cancer. Oh, uh, he was very supportive. He knew he, he a month before he passed. We were sitting listening to Thievery actually, because I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to be in this band like soon, and it's going to be great because we're going on tour all over the place and blah blah all blah." Over, all you over know. the world, yeah. So, uh, 
and he was you know and and in those moments you know when you're looking at stuff like man if like there's not much left here you know you gotta face the music literally and so you take time to have talks and you know get things out that you don't want to feel like you know are stuck in there forever you know and and me and my brother were we were really close so there was never a a distance of um you know oh i wish i would have told him this we got it all out so you know that whole process and i tell these guys this and you know everybody's story that got them here is is different but um oh hey all right i'll be right there uh, so everybody's story that got them to this band, since it's such a conglomeration of different forces, uh, is very interesting. And I tell these guys this, my story, you know, because it's kind of crazy. You know, it's not your average, like, you know, it, it's like bittersweet, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, what was the... Did I miss... What, what happened to the other drummer, Thievery, that, that opened up the space for you? Oh, Thievery never had a drummer. Um, really? No, Thievery never had a drummer. They had two percussionists. Huh, I and didn't realize that. The same percussionist that they have now? or No, Eljon was uh, playing a, more of the f- setup that Frank has. Okay. And Frank was playing more of a <clears throat> eclectic setup. And so the staples that needed to remain from what Eljon was doing found their way into Frank's setup. And then I can get into how I got involved with Thievery but it's basically Funk Arc CI, 18th Street Lounge, met the dudes, produced with them in the studio, and then they were like, all right, you know, let's try drums. And it changed, I mean, it didn't so much change their sound, but it changed their live show mentally then. Yeah, I think, I think at, a, at a time where DJs were becoming super popular, and this was yeah. in 2011, DJs mm-hmm. were becoming super popular in a thievery style, they took a chance on throwing drums up there. I mean, Pretty Lights didn't even have a drummer yet. You know, Deitch wasn't even on a Pretty... Or actually, Corey, that's not true. Corey was, Corey was drumming with Pretty Lights from the beginning. Yeah. But there was a moment where Pretty Lights had no drums. And then, you know, Deitch started playing drums. And Alvin Ford plays drums. And, and it was a thing where, like, I was like... And especially in this style of music, it's not EDM. So, like, the drums are just more of, like, a, a soothing, natural mm-hmm. thing instead of, like, rigid electronic... You know. yeah, we gotta let you go to yeah. soundcheck, but real quick, how much input do you have on production with regard to Thievery? Is it all on the live side? Day to day. If I'm there, I got input. If if I'm not, you know, if, I, if they call me for a session, then they'll be like, play some keys, or what about this <laughs> bass line, or what this guitar part, you know? Like, so are they basically any, anything. An interesting mix of whimsical and calculated, would you say? Uh, perfectly balanced mix of whimsical and calculated, yes. And that's when you have whimsical, Rob Garza, and calculated Eric Hill. Take that with you to soundcheck. <laughs>
So just fresh off of sound check. And while you were sound checking, we were speaking with Chip, and he looked up and noticed that you guys had switched sides. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what goes in behind the, the drummer's percussionist uh, switching sides? Uh, we've never done it before, and we're... There's a pretty... There's a song that uh, Frank's pretty comfortable with on drums. And we figure, you know, we're on tour for five weeks. Why not? Just change it up to change it up. Yeah. Just to have fun. Give the audience a little something, you know, what's going on? Oh, in that case, have Zach Deputy join in and do a little uh, reggae funk with you. <sighs> I, <laughs> I wish he would do the whole set with us, but the production is so set in stone on exactly. our end. Yeah, it's just this, this... It's bullshit, I tell you, it's bullshit. It is, do you but guys, Zach's awesome. <laughs> do you give feedback to your lighting designer and stuff like that for, for the way... It, yeah, um, I'm like, stop roasting my back, bro. It's hot up here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, this, is a, this is an organism where if it's the, the more everybody does their job and doesn't worry about mm. everybody else's, the smoother it goes. I heard the hardest thing about a new light guy is they're always getting hazed. He's got good haze. Luke's got good haze. You know Luke is the guy for Dopapod. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, he's, his own podcast too. Yeah, he does. Yeah, Luke. Yeah, he's great. So maybe you guys should uh, talk to him too. But he's he's programming all day. He he doesn't stop. He's a badass. Is there room for spontaneity in the current show at all? Like, are there moments in where... the TV show? Yeah. Um, band intros. We pick a different song every every a different riff or groove every city based on the history of that city's music. What are some of your favorite cities to play as far as getting crowd response and fueling the band getting fueled by the energy of the room? Uh, so far on this tour, Toronto. Toronto? Detroit. Did you play we played uh, Rebel, which is like a nightclub over around the water. Okay. Yeah. Um, Toronto has been great. Asheville last night was killer. Uh, Detroit was awesome. Uh, Portland, Maine, they go nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it, Pretty much it, everywhere, Rob. Well, and you think about, like, the, the, the type of people, but regardless of who the type of people we are in the band, the type of people that are into thievery, and it's typically, like, you know, a city that has some sort of enlightened philosophies and, you know, like a, a kind of more progressive town. Um, yeah, Nashville was a little weird for us. Apparently, how do you guys go, you mean like Trump country, how does that work out for you? Uh, well, I guess we were just there in Nashville. And, um, it was a little weird for you? No, it wasn't weird. I mean, the crowd was going nuts. Like, they were, they were screaming, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the greatest turnout. And I like, you know, I like your music, but um, I just... Yeah. I just uh, I'm not sure about them, that roster. Yeah. Are, they, are they illegals? <laughs> that sounds like they got an accent alright so let's, let's go back here so, uh, where we were a minute ago we were talking about your entry into thievery uh, they didn't have a drummer and that's how um, there was a space for you and you were just about to get there right yeah so probably about a year or two before joining the band I was frequenting in that scene and with CI and with the funk arc and ended up in their studio producing stuff for bands that were on ESL Music, Thievery's label. And then they were working on Culture of Fear, and the um, sound engineer slash... Yeah, the sound engineer who typically in this band has a very active role because Rob and Eric show up and they they direct and, and point, and then the engineer puts it kind of puts it all together um, digitally and then... So there, you know, he he liked my work, and so he brought me into a thievery session, and I brought in all my gear, like drum, all this stuff, and um, percussion, and 
it's probably the Jamaican kete drum that I brought in that really got me the gig because Eric was like really happy that I had like a traditional Jamaican drum. So we put that all over the record. And uh, as I pose for a selfie with Seth here, here we go. But I want to know when it's a band, an artist that established, I mean, how do you walk the line between putting forth your input aggressively and laying back and laying low? Um, I. It's a just. You know, when it's your time, just give it all. And and if and if they're working on something else, and you're in the session, just hang back and listen until. But I, you know, I've always with with Eric, I worked in the studio more because Rob was in San Francisco, and um, I've always been very assertive in, in that role. And and then you know, if you're bringing me in, it's obviously because like if my idea you if you like my idea, other people will like my idea. You know that type of thing. So. Um, with those guys, yeah, it's and, and Eric is quick to be like, eh, let's not go down that rabbit hole, or oh, that's great, let's do one more and then call it, you know, like so it's it's basically he knows pretty much soon, but which makes it easy to just be like, what about this, you know, and then ten minutes later, if it worked, cool, if not, then move on, you know. It's, Respond to this uh, written about Eric and Rob um, says Pace Magazine says uh, they have always written lyrics that reflected the duo's radical politics while still maintaining a groove that makes their missives. Palatable. Is that a conscious effort of them? Do they almost use the grooves to kind of as a disguise? Offset? Yeah. No, I think the grooves are rooted in the same philosophy that the lyrics are, and and if the down tempo, subtle, more you know ethereal sound is what people are attracted to, then if you look hard in, into the rhythms and into the the drum break of the song or you know, it's it's always coming from from a standpoint of you know, and the conversations in the studio about you know, it's 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 all pretty much focused on you know, well, yes, not coming out and and being you know, overtly literal. They have a very uh, rebellious approach to their music in general. Yeah. What about this? What's your view of or your part in? The way that they're able to take these disparate elements but still maintain a cohesive sound in, like, mm-hmm. on their on their releases. Um, I would say that's really Rob and Eric, um, and and you know once everybody comes in and throws their throws their parts in and editing starts, that's when the thievery sound really develops, and and even just like the fir- the initial ideas that Rob and Eric will have just automatically when I was working with a bunch of other bands and and then would come in and hear them mixing a thievery session there was just never a doubt when it was a thievery tune and when it was another band on the label mm. you know it's, it's one of those things where you're like oh this sounds like a new thievery song I'm like well it is I'm like, oh sweet can we play it live <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very distinguished voice then and that that's how that yeah they, they, I think I think that's one of their things and and I've always observed it as like a because you know I went the music school route and I did you know study extensively way far in many directions when you find an artist that has brings in the the subtleties of out here but has that focus thing where it's not like I was talking with Claude Coleman last night Ween's drummer he was he lives in Nashville and he's like, yeah, man, Ween, it's like every, every song, we're a new band. So, like, you know, the set list, can, you know, can, can kind of go by. Because we were talking about how in Thievery the songs are pretty set, you know, and, uh, from beginning to end. And 
a set list, you know, as you look down, it's kind of like, all right, well, eight more songs, ten more songs, blah, blah, blah however many. And you know, uh-huh. he's, he's like, yeah, man, and Ween, like, you know, one one song we're a country band, next song we're a punk rock band, <laughs> the next song, you know. But don't ever call them a jam band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when they jam, man, that's, that's the best. Yes. Now, what about... Um, Can I ask you this? Yeah, go ahead, Rob. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of ways that it's similar. Your approach in Congo Sanchez would be to Avery Mm -hmm. when in the studio. What are some ways it's different? Um, You know, Fevery has been kind of my apex of studio work. So the influence is very strong about how I learned about how they did things and learning mixing techniques from their engineers and... um, but, um, you know, I'm not a duo. I produce pretty much solo for the Congo Sanchez thing. Um, the guys have ideas or lyrics or something, but I, I'm creating that all on my own. So I think part of the productivity level of thievery is attributed to the two people bouncing things off of each other. Um, and, you know, Rob will send three little ideas that he did on a plane and the next thing you know you got three thievery songs and then Mm -hmm. eric's you know in the studio mixing them and adding the natural elements so you don't really have a lot of pressure you just kind of once you're handed what you got you go exactly exactly and and you know relating the two um i so some of my big you know people i love is like i love quest love um he as a producer and a drummer and a band leader is DJ, as a DJ, yeah, he's a sick DJ. Yeah, he's a great DJ. I mean, because his his musical knowledge is, is out of control, which helps when you're a DJ, you know. Um, but drummers that produce, going back to that paper, that article I wrote or whatever, um, you which know, we actually weren't talking about on the on the show. Real quick, he, he's, he gives advice to young drummers, and a lot of it surround, is surrounded about getting in a, an established, committed unit, unit and getting involved in the creativity, particularly writing songs. He uses Don Henley, Grohl, uh, a couple others. As, as Phil example. Collins. Phil Collins. And uh, Ringo. And, of course, Ringo. Yeah, well, so, so the, yeah, I mean, the, basically, the kind of premise of the article was that, um, and this is going back to exactly what we're talking about, it was drummers, you know, a friend of mine was doing a, a YouTube series where he asked for three words that advice for young drummers, and my words were write a song. Right. <laughs> and <clears throat> so true. Because though. because I'm just I get really fed up with drummers that aren't musicians because you just ruin tracks and songs and bands and it's just, just terrible. Like you can go to most rehearsal spaces like and hear like the the shitty metal band practicing or like the dudes that like just got off work and like the guitars usually sound pretty good and the bass is like not but then when the drummer's bad you're just like yeah oh, it ruins everything like, there's no band like you don't have a band you just have somebody that you're practicing with so <laughs> is that a monkey in the room <laughs> and one of the points you make you, you already uh, the good drummers already have the tools to provide rhythm to drive the song right but by writing it forces them to learn melody form uh, bass lines, vibe, lyrics, and all of that. Yeah, and stuff. you get paid more when you write more. I mean, you know, drum, drum, drum beats are not intellectual property. They're not. You don't get paid for royalties for a drum beat being played. If I if 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 I played drums on a, a song that was you know on a commercial or something like that, drum beat could have been resampled, remade. It could have been. I could have been paid for the session up front, most likely, and then whatever happens with it. Like, but if my voice is heard, that's intellectual property. Really? Yeah. So, like, if you like, for example, if if I say, for example, if Thievery was on Carson Daly back in the day, whatever, 
um, I got a check for like $108 or something. Like, I don't know, four times that year. And the singers, the singer that was on the song was getting checks for $850. And it's just because... So why don't you sing a little bit? Just a little... Well, that's that's what the article's about. <laughs> <laughs> now, I kind of think Henley might be the best example. Does it, didn't he kind of have to assert himself to, at first to get his songs into the repertoire? I think that the Eagles is a big springboard for Don Henley being... I believe he was the number number four richest drummer living according to Forbes magazine an article that Adam Deitch another great drummer friend and idol of mine um, and producer and band leader you know drummers that do future guest on Inside Out very brilliant future guest yeah yeah awesome Um, uh, he tweeted the the, the list and I read it and and so it's like Don Henley's number four and I attribute most of it to his solo (laughs) solo career because the Eagles, who knows what his split was, and who knows, you know, with all those guys had writing credits. They all wrote. They, you know, I don't really know. I haven't watched the four-hour Eagles documentary or whatever it is. But I'm sure if I did, I'd get a little better idea. But it's I just dirty laundry. Most, I mean, yeah, <laughs> dirty laundry, Sunset Grill. You know, Boys of Summer. I mean, all those songs. I mean, he wrote, and, and, and but he wasn't even playing drums in the live band. But hmm. but you know, the studio he probably played his drum drum tracks and cool. Oh. Can you talk about some of the collaborations? Can we jump jump to that? Yeah, yeah whatever yeah. you want, whatever you want. Because you worked with David Byrne, right? Not necessarily. Uh, Thievery worked with David Byrne. But didn't you? Didn't you, I thought you quoted? You talked about something you learned from him in one of the interviews that uh, you, you, you've spoken with him, right? What was it? About? We did a David Byrne tribute at Carnegie Hall where he was, and I I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I I could have quoted him. Yes, you're, you, one of my favorite burn quotes you cited about vocalists. The imperfection in voice are what people get attached to. Right. Um, do you sometimes think that Yeah, he co- says that in a self-interview and Stop Making Sense where they're like, he's like, I don't think you have a very good voice. Right. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> Can imperfections in rhythm and imperfections in other forms of music lead to great things too, though, in a way? So... Uh, imperfections in rhythm is a is a kind of oxymoron because if you have rhythm it it only can be imperfect if it's supposed to be something like if you're playing a clave pattern right alright it's imperfect if you go Right, but right. if you don't know that that's what you're going for, it just sounds like a different rhythm. So I would say, rhythmic creativity and embellishment is is used for expression, especially with what's going on in post Jay Dilla hip hop. And and what Dilla did was added this swing to the big. Beat. Added the swing to what? To the big beat instead of the small beat. So, like, you know, you could have a... Like, where the swing is... The shuffle's in there, right? So what Dilla did, and he did it naturally because he would play all his beats... Well, for the most part, he's famous for playing out the drum parts on the MPC for the whole song. 
So it's not like a loop, you know. So he's like listening to the click and got his samples and he's performing on the MPC live. And a lot of cats do that. One other great one is Damu the Fudge Monk, who's another DC legend and hero of mine. But uh, so Dilla, Dilla took the swing to the big beat. Say his name again. The- oh, Damu. Damu the Fudge Monk. Okay. Yeah, great MPC producer. Uh, so Dilla took the swing and took it to the big beat. So instead of like the... He would put the swing on the... So started swinging the bigger part of the hip hop beat, yeah. and it to me brought me back to the certain rhythms of like Morocco and Ethiopia that have like a, a three, but like a two within like a it's like a very kind of um, in between two and three, but still not imperfect. You know what I mean? So so, but it gives you that like bigger swing and thinking back like the reason I, so Questlove I always found that his hip hop pocket was because he was really good at reggae I just I always had a feeling like he's like the best reggae drummer that plays hip hop and it's because of his approach and his style and his knowledge but you know regardless of that Dilla when I think back to like what was his influence somewhere in there there was that East African swing you know that in between and if you listen to any Ethiopian there's a lot of Ethiopian stations around probably in Atlanta too I know there's a lot of Ethiopians here just listen to some Ethiopian music for like a chikchika or an eskista and and it's a rhythm that with them it's just all in one but if you put the two boom boom and all of a sudden you got the the Dilla thing going so it you know, whether it be inherently genetic or whatever, um, it came it came through in, in Jay Dilla's music. So talking about that swing and that imperfection really is what created the perfection of Dilla. And and things in in the ancient rhythmic world are can get very complicated, but not imperfect. You know what I mean? Like hard to understand because it's like a lot of little ideas but covering a big ground you know like say example for Indian classical music you've got a a phenomenon called the t-high which is like a cadence a rhythmic cadence right and it's basically the same phrase repeated three times to end on the one so an example would be if you're in a 16 count tall which is like a time structure 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 you would start the t-high on the second 16th note and play three series of five ending on the one. Oh. So you'd be like, one, two, three, four, five. So one E and a two E and a three and a three. And so it'd be like one E and a two E and a three and a four. And a. Uh, instead of taka taka taka, it'd be like this. So like you're making the, tap your feet. See it's how adding it, accents that not only help the rhythm but also can influence the other members of the band to play off of and it. let the audience know what's going on. Like yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah because that's people the language in the music. Yeah, exactly, there. exactly. So <clears throat> that's a very simple T high with no melody and no vernacular or anything. But think about the fact that these people can play T highs for five minutes that are these like two hundred and seventeen beat structures Jeez, that then yeah. connect and connect and then. Yeah. 
at the end, everybody's like, oh, I love you. So is that a is that a tie into the gamelan at all in, in, in I Indonesia? Have rhythmic, rhythmic um, structure of gamelan, I'm not as familiar with, okay. and I, I wouldn't say. I'm just, like, there's a, that moment in the gamelan where it's like, and then and they just they they all shift like like a flock of birds, and it's like I still I haven't studied. I have friends who have studied it, but I'm so curious about like that shift because it's like, and and they say that it's it's one person in the pack. It's just like the birds, really. Like one person in the pack is the one that changes it. We we don't know who that is. They do. Yeah. So I don't. It's just it's fascinating, but yeah, it is it is fascinating, and that's some really old stuff. Yeah. Some really old stuff. But here you you're in a band that's bringing a lot of that old stuff not maybe not maybe not gamelan but uh the, well, the indian sound. style yeah, stuff the is... sound and the influence of eastern music non-western they'd call it in the western world are you studying a lot still to be able to keep that fresh and current i the most i've been studying lately since i've been kind of on my own the last 10 years let me guess haitian no. haitian was before okay. haitian i studied from when i when i was younger um and Haitian music's amazing because it's so closely rooted to most of the most of the slaves in Haiti were from Benin, Togo, that region. And so there's a big tribe there called the Fon. And the Fon are like raw. They're raw, man. Like Nigeria, you know, all this stuff that came over with the Yoruba tradition and all this stuff was very codified and like, you know, influenced and 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 Adaptable. The phone have this like more village type of vibe where like their clave is typically like gung 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 gung. And if you're talking about rhythmic imperfection or perfection, like instead of bump 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 bump, they sped it up and it's like gung 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 gung. So it could be three or four, and and so that music from Haiti is a simpler clave than the rest of the Caribbean music. It's just a three. Tresio, they call it, but in Haiti they would call it something else because they speak French there. But the rest of the Caribbean uses the, the two, three, or the three, two clave, son, or, or rumba, you know? And, and, and I wouldn't say the rest of the Caribbean, I'm sorry. Trinidad and Tobago, you have the soca, which is more of a repetitive. But basically, the Haitians had a very preserved version of their African traditions um, because they won. They didn't lose. They, they revolted from France and they had freedom. Now, what did that mean for them in the future economically? All right, we're going to turn you into a thoroughbred country and we're not going to do business with you and you're, you know, basically you're, you're, you're fucked because we wanted, to ha- we wanted to control your island and use it for trade and you beat us with your warfare so, so we're just going to piss on you for the... You know. We're going to stage earthquakes. <laughs> Bad for business, but good for creativity. Because your, your voodoo techniques. But regardless, so they had a more free society of African tradition. Yes. Cuba is another strong place, but uh, come on in, Hash. Is Cuba what you were getting to the, the, the more recently you've... Uh, no. Oh. All, all this Caribbean stuff, is reggae is, is the most recent undertaking oh. I've taken on post- you know, doing all the dance stuff. We'll get back to that. Get, talk about Cuba, please. Well, he so, actually was answering the question that uh, you railroaded, Rob. <laughs> I was, I was going to bring it back. I've had some long-winded answers. <laughs> I was going to bring it back, but Haiti was a big part of his. 
So, 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, it was great. So, Haiti, so, and then you have Cuba. So, Cuba, they had these things called cabildos, which were secret societies, basically, where they were practicing non Catholicized Yoruba from, from, uh, from Nigeria, from, from, from the Yoruba tradition, the tribe in West Africa. So, that was spilling into the heavily Catholicized Santeria religion, which came about in Cuba, which was a mix of the Catholic saints with the deities of the Yoruba tradition, and then becoming a thing where these Orishas would embody, everybody has an Orisha, and you meet with the Santo, and they tell you who your spirit is, and you know, you follow that spirit, and you pray to that spirit, and you give that spirit money, and, and everything. So, that interest for me, like I said before, is what got me to the point where I feel like, all right, since there's this much level of interestingness going on, I feel like I could do this for the rest of my life, you know, left the orchestras, studied all that stuff. But then when I got out of school, it was reggae because I moved to DC and basically reggae and Stevie Wonder have been my two biggest obsessions post like college, I would say. Um, and Did you get to see Stevie on the songs in the Key of Life tour by chance? I saw him soon after. Okay. I saw him at Life is Beautiful in Vegas. Unfortunately, he didn't see you. He did not. Uh, he, 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 did, he did. He did, actually. He saw my aura. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I love Stevie. I mean, he's, he's really probably the greatest, greatest of all time. Stevie, Miles, Marley, Mahler. These are my so, big ones. Not just dub reggae, dancehall reggae, too, right? Yeah, I mean, I learned about dancehall out of necessity, and it's fun. You know, it's fun because, like, you go see Junior Gong, or you see Sizzla, and you see these guys, and, like, for the first 30 minutes of the show, high energy, then they drop into the one drop and chill it out for a little bit, then bring it back up. So as a drummer, you kind of got to know know it all. and know that, you know, in reggae, there's a huge terminology that singers will spontaneously direct the band with a few words, like rhythm, drum and bass, mix, play low I mean basically if you know those four and what they mean you can and you can play the, the rhythm then that's all you gotta know but you gotta listen to the singer because they'll be like whoa, 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 whoa play low and then you're like oh you gotta recognize that and then hmm. bring it down so we can oh yeah and you'll know if you if you didn't do it and didn't oh, yeah. hear it he'll <laughs> <laughs> do you know of any feedback on Temple of I and I from Jamaica uh I think the feedback's been been great um uh, you know Raquel she's from Jamaica so she's got friends down there that have been uh, you know spreading the word and as far as as far as I know um, having hung out with Jamaican Americans in, in, in the states um, every time I play you know play it for somebody they're oh man this is this is like real reggae it's great you know and it was getting pushed out and like you get in a not, there's no you know I wouldn't call it a taxi but you know the guy's like yeah man I'll give you a ride back to the boat yeah you get in there and he gives you throws a bunch of CDs at you that you're just like I, I, okay you're, I guess I'll pay you for these <laughs> pretty sure I got a pre thievery <laughs> yeah, bootleg <laughs> I think so I'm nice. not not 100% sure on that but it, it could be um, but typically Jamaicans um, if you can play reggae, it's just 
welcome to the family, you know? I mean, because there's a lot of cheesy, fake well, reggae. Well, not even know? cheesy, fake reggae. Let's, let's, let's actually, let's break it down for a second. You have, reggae is so international. So you, you, can, like, you can go to Nigeria and hear reggae. Mm-hmm. You can go to India and hear reggae. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to California, the beaches of California, and get a whiter version of reggae. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's still reggae, you know? And it's just, it's, it's interesting. So I always wonder, like, to talk, what a, what a serious, like, deep, you know, Jamaican reggae star would, you know, thinks about, like, the, the West Coast reggae scene. I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that... Both um, the phenomenon of the Western North American reggae scene with the with the white boy reggae and the fact that Jamaican stars and reggae stars from all over the world can tour up and down California four times a year and make good money. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and the fact that you know, regardless of whether it's the weed trickle down or the beach vibes or whatever. Yeah. I think it's a combination of both, but you know, reggae in that part of the country, especially from like Santa Cruz North, uh-huh. you know, and you could say Santa Barbara and LA and San Diego, like, well, you know, LA is going to pass through, but, but yeah, you know, like the, the, where the, where the, where the woods people are that are like mm. throw the reggae festivals and have the, you know, dress we have down, a reggae at the know. river. Yeah, I've played not. reggae on the river and all that reggae stuff. On like, the river. They don't do that anymore, though, right? I think they do. I think they do. Yeah. Um, I did it when it was Reggae Rising one year. It was like a name shift year, but but I think it's I think it's all attributed to the culture and mm. and acceptance now. But reggae is a universal language, and it's not oh, even yeah. a universal language. I mean, let's face it. Okay, first of all, you go you go to the hills of Sumatra and. You don't speak anything. You, you, there's, no, there's a language barrier, but yet you're gonna, you can sing Bob Marley don't and get along. And, exactly. and, 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 I, and I'm going to take it even further, is that if we go to Mars or Mars comes to us, the, the, there will be no communication. And then you play Bob Marley and it's like, it's all oh, good. You know, they, <laughs> but I mean, for real, like, you know, 100%. I, mean, I think it's just, it's just something about so it. There's only so many frequencies, you know, that we can hear. And I think with the whole alien thing, like if there, if we are gonna contact or get contacted, or we've been contacted, and they're not telling us. I mean, I'm pretty into the conspiracy vibe, but regardless, uh, it can't be that much different than us. Like, you know, intelligent life. There's fish in salt water and fresh water than us, exactly. And how do we? <laughs> how do they communicate with the aliens at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind? How do they communicate? Um, do, 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 music. Do. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Wait, what are we talking about, though? I don't know, but are you, tempt- are, are you tempted at all to play Jamaica with this record out? And would your booking agent should go to Reggae Sunspot and say, hey, this is the one chance we have to play your festival. Let's make it happen. Say, there's not much money playing in Jamaica. That's probably one of the issues. Um, and uh, you know who knows who knows we we did do uh, what reggae festival did we do this year? Oh, we did Cali Roots, and yeah. and that you know that's well, that that had a bunch of the mix of it was that that had like they uh, had Nas this year, and, but they also know. had a lot of the West Coast the the, the whiter reggae bands. Oh, too. Right. so yeah, going back to what a, an old Jamaican oh, yes. artist would would think of it, right? 
I think that more reggae is more love for for reggae all over. Now, is it is 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 it Rasta? Maybe not. Is it um, militant? Maybe not. But is it reggae? Yes, it is. And just because it's not played by a Jamaican doesn't mean it's not reggae. Just because you don't have dreads, you know. And and reggae didn't get all dreaded out until the seventies, anyways. You know, mm-hmm. with the Rasta when Selassie came to Jamaica and 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 Ivy Selassie. Yeah, and 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 uh, and that's when the Rasta thing started finding its way into the mainstream part of, of reggae and, and dreads and, 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 and everything became more spiritual seemingly but um, I think the most elevated enlightened old reggae guy let's say Jimmy Cliff he's more he, he's definitely would say yes because he's a pop dude he's not he's, say, you know he's pop yeah, I he's would say always, Winston let's go with Burning Spear yeah. right? let's go with Burning Spear Burning Spear more reggae more reggae man you know it's not like at some point you gotta listen to your own words and say look if you if you believe what I believe it doesn't matter what, how you present it or, or, or how you look or whatever you know one love you know all the time and 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 Christopher I mean, and uh, speaking of Winston and Burning Spear, his one of his greatest songs is you know is about Christopher Columbus. You know this this terrible blasphemous holiday we celebrated on Monday. And I tried to go to dinner and this place was closed for holiday. I was like, what holiday is it? <laughs> we still do that. And so <laughs> well, they also do lynching Friday. So you know, <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So it's like um, you know, it's it's a thing where but the holiday. Hold on a second. That that holiday though is not about Columbus. It's just to show you how they can still they can still co- we can cover up our history and change it at any moment. That's what that's about. But anyway, there's, go on. There's so much more we could talk to you about. We don't want to hog up your whole free time. But let me ask you this. I'm enjoying this. Given your druthers. Wait, what? Given your druthers. That's like if it were up to you. What style of music would Thievery explore the way they have Bossa Nova and reggae, dub reggae in the last two records? Next record, which would you love to see them, one of their influences, dig their teeth into a little more? Because maybe they'll listen to us. Hey, Rob. Hey, Aaron. What's up? Um, you guys are next. I'd like to see them dig more into early Thievery. I'd like to see them get back to... Um, a darker sound, and um, and and that I, I can tell you that Eric would Eric loves like psych music, and he goes in phases of obsession where he tries to like make this thievery thing from this, and like next thing you know, eight years the song we did like in the living room on a cell phone becomes a thievery track. You know? Oh wow! So. <laughs> So we, you know, there's a lot of influences. I, I really think, you know, I love their early stuff is, is electronic, you know, and I think, I think just remembering that, like, you know, put out some electronic bangers. It's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> Sounds like an anniversary tour. Yeah, it does, actually. Uh, what, no, you guys did 20. did 20, right? Yeah. So 25th anniversary, there's your tour. There you go. Well, yeah. thanks, thanks so much for your time. I feel like uh, we've. Did you guys get what you needed? I think. Oh yeah, we got we we got a ton. I hopefully you know. I think Rob, I've got an idea about doing. I have an idea how we can present this. Congo Sanchez, 
moving forward. Mm-hmm. And the Your mayor thoughts? of Denver, you're going to be the mayor of Denver someday, at least the mayor of the music side of Denver. I, I see it coming. Yeah, the word is your career has taken off since, since you moved to Denver and that now you're really going to Denver has, self-actualize. Denver has been a very great place to be for realizing where I'm at because I would come home to DC and I'd be around my friends and like kind of close to the family and then I'd have like, you know, a lot of friends in the art punk scene in DC and I love all that shit but really, you know the scene, you know where our scene is and Denver is like such a great place to be for that and a couple people have really taken me under their wing. Eddie Roberts has really... Eddie from the New Master Sound too from is from Master Europe. Sound. But uh, England at that. But uh, now just, uh, it's from Denver. Wales. Wales. That's you just played a gig with him. Who else? So yeah, we've been doing things with like you know we'll do we'll do gigs with Borum and we'll do gigs with Joey Porter and we'll do gigs with uh, Chuck from Dopapod's been playing bass. And, and you're also you you're part of the um, uh, Matt Butler's uh, Everyone Orchestra occasionally too, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. There's that thing. And honestly, DC was probably a better <clears> spot <throat> for that because. Not too many cats. Yeah, around. I say there's so many cats. Denver is like, oh, we gotta get the, the star power. I'm like, oh, wait in line. But, but regardless, um, no, um, it's just it's a great place to be for for all sorts of all sorts of scenes, and especially the future of Congo Sanchez because now we got one guy in New York, one guy in DC, and one guy in Denver, and I'm the main producer, and I'm really like I started a project called Natural Selecto, which is like a, a reggae all another all star group, but we do non reggae songs in a reggae style. Like I think you saw the Hollow Notes one, and mm-hmm. um, so that thing's going really well in town. It's a great thing to do, you know. They're giving us good money and working with musicians and getting to know a bunch of people, so. That's cool, but that's not the future of Congo Sanchez, but Congo Sanchez is involved. But I'm learning from that in that I really want to focus on a few songs, feature a few key artists, finish the song with those artists, get some great footage, get some great media content, um, continue to work with some of my distribution and, and, and um, industry people to see how to maximize but you know we've toured we've opened up over 50 markets in the united states in the last three years and a lot of them were like hey are you doing the fall tour and we're like no not this year because we're gonna come again next year starve the market starve the market a little bit and 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 you know there's certain places that will sell out every time but then there's certain places where it's like you know in ithaca we played a 400 person room for 11 people all night and we've only played Ithaca one time, but we ended up playing like a two hour, two and a half hour set for eleven people that were really enjoying it. That's that's the yeah you, you know you, and and so the future is it, it, uh, the motto moving forward with that band is is smarter not harder because we've done a lot of hard work touring and we really need to focus on um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for refining our content mm-hmm. and refining our sound so that when people think of Congo Sanchez they think of a sound. And, and kind of like a future world music is, is the direction it's going. You know, add a couple of live elements and, and keep like the electronic, you know, bass, but also with the influence of those, all these places we've talked about, you know. Definitely improv. Definitely keep the improv in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you know well, Trust, yeah. Well, that's, 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 what, that's what I'm re-evaluating right now is how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this so that 100% of it is... Is, is awesome for me. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's 60 or 70 for the crowd or whether it's 100 for the crowd right now, I don't care. If they think it's 100 now, then we got 50 more to go. Just wait, there's more. <laughs> well, we'll have you back in the show sometime in the future. Cool. Um, but One more thank, thing, 
Always. We can talk about the Grateful Dead with him. Haven't you guys done Grateful Dead sets, Thievery? We can talk about the Grateful Dead. Which surprised it's funny, the hell funny, out of me Funny first. you bring that up. <laughs> can I just say, when I first heard that Thievery was doing full sets of Dead music... Well, I was, I was at the one on the GD50 over in Chicago. The Aragon? Yeah. I mean, were dope, you right? It was very warm in that room, too. Oh, God, yeah. Always. First of all, were you surprised that Rob and Eric were willing to do that? Uh, well, I had a hand in, in the convincing process. Are they Deadheads at all, either of them? No. Um, and our manager at the time, Dave Geller... We can really talk, we can go into that, but nah. yeah, I'll I'll give you a quick synopsis. So so Geller Geller was working with Berg, I believe, and Berg was throwing a bunch of parties, and you know for the GD fifty pre thing and Bert. Berg Michael Berg, uh, Huluween and Swanee and all that oh. stuff, uh, North Coast Silver Rapper, yeah, sorry, Silver, yeah, Chicago based. So uh, good friend, he was at our show a couple weeks ago in Chicago. Really really great dude. Um, and it took some convincing because uh, uh, even some people in the band were like, I don't know. And we're like, all right, listen, which look, I'm a huge deadhead of, <laughs> of 35 years. I understand the reticence of such a thing, right? And it's like you know, people aren't necessarily thinking about it like the music. They're thinking about uh, you know, the fans and the news right. and that. So me growing up a deadhead, Hash deadhead, Robbie Myers deadhead. That's three people in the band. The only three people in the band besides percussionists that play instruments. So we're like, all right, cool. And I went to, we, we, we knew we were going to do the gig. We didn't know how. We didn't know if we were going to just play the songs where you have to make remixes or blah, 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 blah. So we had got together, kind of got a song list together. And um, I went to Dear Jerry at Merriweather. Hmm. Um, and probably two months before the GD50 reunion. Yeah, when the Disco Biscuits up in the second set, right? Ah, uh, did they? Okay. I don't know. It was a lot of people there. Sure. It was beautiful. It was emotional. It was fun. And um, I was sitting there on the lawn. I was just like, man, I got to do this. <laughs> like, nobody else is going to do it. I just need to do it and make it worthy, you know, because... Nobody knew the music that's in the production role. So I ended up making remixes and backing tracks in a thievery style with the arpeggiators and the synths and all this stuff of six tunes. I think we did uh, the other one, which was my favorite. Um, Definitely nice. we did it. We did it, we did it in a re- like a step or reggae style. Ah. And I Is actually that sang idea? that one. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I, I MD'd that gig. So. Your bassist sang Eyes, right? Hash sang Eyes. I, I sang the chorus on that. I wanted to sing a song, but the leader of the band was like, hey, look, we, we need somebody up front. Like, we, we can't have it coming from the back. All right, fine. So I sang, sang on the other one because Roots didn't quite learn it, but as soon as he like, knew when to come in, he could like catch the second word. Yeah. So I kind of backed him up and nobody knew it, but. I did have a mic on that gig, so that was cool. But yeah, we did the other one, Eyes of the World, China Cat, um, Scarlet Fire, um, Dark Star, and Drums in Space. So all in all, we had eight Grateful Dead songs and a 24-song thievery set, and I made the set list so it wove in and out, and we connected certain thievery songs with Dead songs, and turned out to be really, really amazing. And in... You know, I think I ended up getting paid like another 150 bucks for that gig, which is nice. 
But what did Robin Eric say about it <laughs> in retrospect after? All right, here's what they said before in the meeting. They were like, they were like, um, all right, if this goes well, like in the little huddle, you know, if this goes well, we can thank Franca. And then I was like, well, and Robbie and Hash, because the three of us got together on our own time and, you know, learned the shit and made it happen. Um, and they were like, if it goes terrible, we can you blame Dave Geller. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a, a good team. And it went yeah. amazing. Trixie Garcia was there and all these people were there. Yeah. And they're like, that was so good. And like, um, I actually, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we can talk off the record about it. But the dead, karma, <laughs> the dead karma has come back to me because I ended up in a band with O'Teal and Magner and John Kay this year doing some shows and, you know... We all have our own busy schedules, but that's a thing that's kind of moving. So if we have some time, we can go do that. And, you know, it's just been great to, to, to be that close to that, that energy, you know. Specifically, O'Teal, talk about what it's like to play with him as a bassist, how he's different from other bassists. You're a drummer. You're in the percussion zone. You're in the uh, O'Teal is a very lyrical bass player, and he is very, he knows a lot of songs. He's very knowledgeable. And the best thing I would say about playing with O'Teal is his, his energy and his positivity and the fact that, you know, he can go from on stage, The Grateful Dead, to some other gig and still just be yeah. rocking and happy and into it and... He seems, he seems into it right now. He seems at a good place in terms of music. He's, he's endlessly place. effusive musically. Uh, yeah, he's in a great place. Endlessly. Well, I, I like, this, like this podcast uh, is endless, Rob. I know, I know. You I can't agree. ask any more questions. You well, ask, can ask question. one more. You, you gig, dream gig uh, artist that you'd work for to go on the road with. Uh, other than the gig you already have, it's already a dream gig. A, a dream artist that you could go on the road and perform and maybe even improvise live. Drum? Yeah. Um, man, mm, um, Congo Sanchez. Yeah, I don't want to play for anybody else. Um, I I enjoy it. Like I saw Roger Waters and and the guy who's I forget his name, Max, playing drums, and he was also playing drums for Beck, and like he's doing that whole thing. And I'm sure he produces his own stuff, and like you know he's got big gigs, great gigs, obviously. But I don't. Yeah, my dream gig is to tour with my band. Well, right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because most most bands that I would want to see, I'd want to see their drummer play with a band, you know. And if and if there's a band that has like a rotating cast, and I probably don't really care to see them. But like, I wouldn't want to like join Fish or The Dead or something. Like, I want to see those guys, you know. I wouldn't want to join a band that I like, like. But it would be cool to tour with maybe like a a cool jazz band for a few years you know that's something something that's like a, a, a put out a record with a jazz band and and tour get on the road Branford. have mm-hmm. you heard of Antonio Sanchez oh yeah he's are you familiar drummer. with him yeah he's a great drummer have you you never met him though? never met him uh, maybe maybe once in passing but never really like he's sick he's sickly talented he is sick yeah um, uh, the stuff he does with Pat Metheny is really amazing yeah Forget that one big long piece. The one with it's, it's, a, uh, it's like an hour long score. It's, we have the poster in the room. It's like the way oh. up. The world that lives. The, the way up or something like that. The way that? up. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that played here. That was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. Hey. You're very generous. Mm-hmm. Thank My you. Pleasure.
Well, Rob. Well, one thing we learned that day is that we, as much as we love the tabernacle, <laughs> yeah, we don't ever want to do. Hey, move it back, move it back, Trim. <laughs> we were kind of in a inopportune spot for that interview. They, but they were trying to be nice. I mean, it's basically um, the production office, right? Yeah, it was a production office. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't the same room we interviewed Anders in, or some of the other interviews we did. There, Chris was a, Mitchell. That's yeah. the room to do it in. Yeah, no, the Chris Mitchell Anders room. But the thing about thievery is they have like twenty five members, and well, not this time, but they have like twelve members, and they all had their own room and space. And it was, it was nice that they were able to give us what they did. But yeah, it was. It was tight. And we also conducted another interview that day that'll be part of a future industry spotlight yes. sort of deal. Mm-hmm. With Chip, Chip Smith, who's their production manager, which Rob learned, but production manager means versus tour manager. Mm. And uh, Chip's stories, I find to be a very interesting one. Yeah. Uh, and just to give you guys a little bit of an insight as to what that interview details, we talk about his roles and responsibilities being a production manager for Thievery where he comes from in the production world, working with Avatar Events Group, which is the backline company, uh, being stage manager, and you've been in the production world for years. But really, where that just scratches the surface, and then all of a sudden we get deep and talk about addiction. Yeah, he overcame some stuff himself. He did, and his story is different than a lot of people that we talked to because he went through a different way. Uh, he went through a process where it was really training, retraining your brain how to think through these things. And I, you well, know, leave, leave people something to look forward to. You I know. am. I'm leaving it at this, that I found this, his story is one that even though we haven't released it, Rob, I hope it's okay with you, but I've been sharing it with a couple, <gasps> I know, a couple of people that are suffering alcoholics and they haven't dealt with it yet. And I'm trying to get them to listen to it because I believe that, the words he shared there really his story is one of which that people can relate to that are in that situation that aren't like God servants that just want to, you know, I found Jesus and Jesus saved me and I saved a million dollars to give to Jesus. So that will be sometime in 2018. We got a very exciting year coming. We're going, we're um, this Osiris podcasting platform is starting soon. Soon, um, yeah, we'll have an announcement to announce it. We're chilling a little bit now. We're, we're, we really, hopefully, are going to put together this 50th episode. It's going to be a lot of work. I don't know if Josh is going to want to do the engineering for it. He, he, Can he, we still get Nathaniel? Yes. No, Josh is going to... This is going to be tedious. Dude, what's wrong with you, Rob? This is going to be You're tedious. You're fucked up. It doesn't matter. you got to understand, when it comes to things like that are monumental like that, Josh is so on board. Yeah, but he's busy. He's a busy guy. That's but when all. It, I appreciate it, and he appreciates that. But he also has that beautiful new studio space below his house that we're going to start recording at. I hope so, because we're losing the undisclosed location, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if we're in our last <sighs> days. This is actually one of the last, I think the 50th will be the last one we record here, probably. Uh, maybe. Maybe this is. I don't know. But what did you just say? You, Our listeners don't know what we're doing. January. Cold. We want to have sort of an award show, the kind of, uh, I was thinking of calling it the Innie Outies, and the uh, the trophy would be two bellies, like each Seth and my belly, and one would be an Innie, and one would be an Outie, and that's you, your wait, trophy. Wait, hold on, I'm an Innie, though, are you an Outie? I can be for this, for the purposes. For the can podcast, you, I will be anything. Are you telling me you can push it out of your fucking... Mm, dude, you know, a lot of things about me, you don't know. Oh my god, mm. oh my god. <laughs> but our listeners don't know. That January is a dead month for us. Yeah. And I don't mean dead like Rob's only talking about Grateful Dead. I mean like- No, that was November. (laughs) (laughs) That dead and company. I did wrote about five. I I was, it was kind of a relief that they 
postpone the last three shows because I was getting sick. Yeah, of yo, them. No. they're playing great. They're great. They're cooking. They're smoking. But I was sick and I watched every show. If it was John enough. Mayer it didn't get enough. sick, you would have died. I, I don't know. I don't know. I certainly. I don't know. If you could, you can't write that many reviews. You went. You're like an addict. You went from like not writing to like nonstop writing. You're you. You're you're. All of a sudden, your fingers had calluses. Yeah, speaking like of which, I went, I went to Athens last week to the Foundry, which is a really cool small room. And um, was uh, it hard to find? Would you say you found it? No, it's the Foundry. It used to be called the Melting Point, and, yeah, the, and the hotel yeah, was a Foundry. Yeah. Now the hotel's the Graduate, and the music venue is the Foundry. But it's great because so, the hotel allows dogs, and it's right there. Ho ho ho! Just in time for Christmas. <laughs> it's right there. So I was able to bring my dog and uh, have yeah, my laptop yeah, in the you room. Yeah, you brought your dog. Shoot. You brought, what's up, dog? I'm from fucking Athens. What's up, dog? <laughs> Enjoy the dogs. And uh, so that'll be next. the next issue of Relics will be my review of that show. Did you get paid? Uh, yeah, but not much. It's not about that. It's, Shh. About- it's okay. As long as you got paid. Oh. You, hey, Dean Budnick is the guy who wrote the article once about don't let people dude you. Remember that? That was like 15 years ago. No, but you'll have to. You know, we should. Duding is about how people try to get you to do stuff. I probably shouldn't say this to Seb. People try to get you to do stuff for free. Something's wrong with the machine here. I'm sorry. Focus right's not working right. Um, so we're going to take the month of January off. Sort of. We're going to have the 50th episode. We're taking I'm the month of January north. off. I thought, wait, we're doing the 50th now in January? I thought we we're taking a dead month. Like oh yeah, but to release just one episode, and that'll be the fiftieth. When which are we going to cut the in and out stuff. on that? Uh, I don't know. Are you going to be around the first week of January? We could do it right when I get back. I'm going to be back for the David Rawlings show at the Variety Playhouse on the twenty fifth. Oh, of because January. I know exactly when that's at. I just said the twenty fifth of January. If you would shut up for a second, how much did you drink at dinner? No. Did you drink at dinner? I had a glass. This is totally different. You suck at radio when you're drunk. I'm not drunk. One glass of wine at dinner does not qualify me being drunk. What am I, a fucking freshman in college that you fucked? Speaking of David Bromberg, it was a wonderful show, and a lot of the artists who were influenced by him were at Strings and Soul, which we alluded to in the intro. Uh, tell us tell us a little more about Strings and Soul. How, how, how was your experience this year? Well, if I can say one thing, and only one thing, the words would be green sky, bluegrass. Green sky, bluegrass is taking off big time. They went from being like the baby band on that bill to being the band on the bill. They owned it. And they are they are so they're such good dudes, such good people. But just to give you kind of I mean, all the bands were great. Railroad all the bands, Leftover, Yonder, uh, Fruition, like uh and and the Dusters, all great. But the but Green Sky really stepped it up. And then, and like to the point where they um you know, in the activities, Paul did bingo with me. Paul Hoffman did bingo. He was hilarious. We had a great time. But he, I asked him to do a playlist. He does three hours later. He's like, I'm halfway through. I mean, he like put a lot of energy into it. Paul Hoffman's the lead singer. And is he the primary? Mandolin. Primary songwriter too? Um, uh, I don't know. Let's let's find that out. I do find myself wishing the other guy sang more. But these guys. Not that I don't like Paul, but but the the, the guy with the more countrified voice, I forget uh, his name. Oh, no, you're talking about Dave. Uh, I love Dave. his voice. And when uh, I saw them at uh, Halloween, he didn't sing much at all. He's 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 fantastic. So uh, they uh, one of the guys did a DJ set one night, one of them, which was totally spontaneous, just last minute decision. They uh, did a poolside casinos where we set up the band in the pool and outside of the pool, and they did a casino. And it was all like, you know, games like I call it the Griswold Poolside Casino because it's name, uh, pick a number, paper, rock, scissor. 
uh, all sorts of stuff. But they they went full force on the shenanigans. Went he- just they nailed it, and it was so fun. But for their fans to be able to interact with them in this setting, it was really special, so unique. I mean, imagine like you're going up, like you know, maybe you maybe you're a fan. You like Paul, you like Anders. But you never talk to them really. Here you're going up and you're gambling and you're raising money for Positive Legacy. And you're socializing with them and drinking and hanging out and playing casino games. And they're, you know, uh, Dave's doing pick which hand and he's just nailing it. And it's so entertaining. There's such, there, there's there's so much charisma with these guys. But then I want to just, I want to lead to the music though, Rob. That last night and Green Sky takes a stage. It was loud as fuck, I'll say that. But these guys had such a presence. Their show was massive. Do you know what I mean by that? Just a big sound, big feel, big energy. Yeah. I mean, one guy, like Paul on the mandolin with the light shining on him. And you know what they covered? They opened up with? Luckiest Man, Oliver Wood, Ah, the Wood Brothers. Luckiest Man, I'm the luckiest. And that song always makes me think of the... uh, Say it ain't so, and fucking they end it, and Paul says, Paul yells on the thing, and say it, and it just, it just, it just, all those pieces come together. Oh, and one other thing, uh, Green Sky opened up their uh, the first night, their first set, and they not opened the show, but in their set they played their first time they ever played a Panic cover. Oh, really? And this got within the morning, it had thirty thousand plus views. Uh, more than that. What song? Uh, busted out or something like that. Busted, busted big. Oh, yeah. busted big. Yeah, interesting. And gonna bust it big. But isn't that a I mean, JoJo song? You know, like these guys. Interesting. They cover a JoJo song. It. They're they're so on top of their game. I think I, you I, made um, it clear. So the folks, that's our 2017. Well, and then and then then week after that was closer to the sun. Miles from um, slightly stupid. Is very interested in sitting down with us on the show. Excellent, I would love to. Sit and down with I, I told him if we do that, can we go ahead and release the John Phillips as managers episode? Uh, meanwhile, John Phillips' we'll brother release it every year on March fourth, episode for, thirty four. We'll just, just put it out like there on March fourth and then close it back down. I like that idea. And his brother, his his brother wants to be on the show, and I said, "Will you give us the same interview, but we can actually keep it?" <laughs> um, Close to the sun was was good as well. Some fun fun moments there. But, uh, you know, I mean, listen, listeners are listening to this. I'm going to tell you my side of the story, and, and that's all about the activities I do and how much fun it is and all that. But um, there's moments. There's just these moments like, you know, when I'm doing bingo. I know it sounds silly, but like bingo, what's it? It's name that tune bingo. The power goes out. Rob, what do I, you know, what do I do when the power goes Acoustic out? Acoustic bingo. No, I fucking do charades. Oh. Uh-huh. So people have to figure out the song. And, and then on the ri- on the bus ride back to the um, airport the next day, you know, one of the guys like, hey, that charade shit, you know, and like gives me that feedback. And I just, and I love it. And I, I, reali- nice. I realized something. I, I, I realized something that I, I really don't know what I would do without being able to have that outlet because I truly enjoy reaching out to the fan base. I like working with these artists and being able to connect the artists and the fan base in this way. And it's something very special. So I'm very fulfilled. And as we say goodbye to our listeners in 2017, which has been a great year for us, we had uh, made some great advances some had some incredible interviews, but we have serious stuff coming up in 2018, one of which might involve uh, these games. uh, Maybe. I don't know. 
do we we have a hold at City Winery for something? And we, we're uh, talking we, we to other hold, venues. But- so we're going to try to put together a really nice 50th episode for you. And then what we're going to do is release 51 and 52 mm. on the same day in February. Yes. Well, hopefully. We're hoping that that will uh, be our, our beginning with the Cyrus podcast platform. And that will be with um, Anders Beck. And then we have Jerry Joseph in the oh, can. Yeah, we got a we couple have... more. Don't forget our freaking drummer, Adam Deitch, baby. We've got a plenty plenty of drummer interviews. And and Dave Watts Dave from the Watts Motet. From we the could Motet. do a whole drummer month. As a matter of fact, we should just yeah, from this interview here with uh with uh Jeff, we can just drummer drum we could Oh man, wait a second. We should we, what the fuck are we doing? Stop with the swearing. It's enough. You're like a child. What are we doing? It's little drummer <sighs> month. Yeah, maybe so, but we only put out two a month, so I don't know if it's really... Hopefully we can start putting out... Now that we're starting to get more and more sponsors. I mean, I'm ready to start pumping them out. Hey, that's that's of one of the reasons I'm. we need a little chill for a couple months here is that I really want to step it up hard. And uh, yeah, you wanted to talk about uh, Robert. We, well, I, we already mentioned in the front, but I just want to remind you guys here, April's coming. Don't get fucked in April, folks. Get polayed. Yeah, never get fucked in April. Get polayed. That's uh, Robert Polay. Polay Clark. Pelé Clark. Hey Rob, can I can I say one thing to you? Yes, and this will be in closing. I love you. I love you too, and I love our listeners. Thank you for listening. No, no, I'm talking to you, Rob. Oh, thank you. I but, love you. But folks, support. No, no, I'm talking to you, Rob. That's enough. We get it. People, if you like the show, we appreciate any support you give us on social media, uh, any reviews you write, any sort of thing. And then uh, when we get on this platform, hey, we want you to check out the other podcasts. I'm already yeah, starting we'll to talk, check them out. We'll, we'll yeah. talk about We'll talk about more in the future, yeah. but I'm getting familiar. We're going we're gonna to have a bunch of teammates, and we're going to be... Yeah. Because it's... Uh, I feel the internet is so vast. The internet's I, so vast. I do not see other podcasts as competition, you know? And um, What I'm about looking, when they interview the same people we do? I don't know. We'll, what if they... We'll each get different things out of them. It all, it's all a different thing. It's, it's just, you know... I don't know. If you're a fan of a musician, don't you want to hear different people talk with them? You get a different side of them with each interview. Folks, I do want to know one thing, though, before we leave today. In the last year, if you've listened to four or more episodes, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com, and we want to know your thoughts. Are they too long? Are they too short? Are they just right? Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you in 2018. Do love.